Amen, amen. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited. It's the first time in six weeks that I've been able to preach in public. It's awesome. Preaching on Zoom is the worst thing in the world. You know, you tell a joke and you have no idea if there's laughter or booze, you know, you have no clue. Um, But I'm also excited. We're starting a brand new series today through the book of Philippians. Um, and, And I've done a series similar before, but all this stuff is newer and what God has put in my heart. And I'm very excited because the things that we can extrapolate from Philippians is going to be transformative in your lives, I guarantee it. So let's pray a blessing on the word and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you so much for all that's already taken place. Thank you that when we look at Southgate, we can say we're doing church. It's not a program. It's not a formula. It's a family that has come together to fellowship and worship, lay hands on each other, and be able to open up the word and hear supernaturally what you are telling each and every one of us in our hearts. Thank you so much, God, for what you want to do today. Be with me as I deliver your word here today, that it may bless everybody within the sound of my voice. Lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, growing up in San Diego, for a long time, I was a San Diego Chargers fan. I love football. I love food. I love football. I love fellowship. And I know it's corny to say it that way, but I love it. And uh, when I was 15, uh, me and my dad just got tired of being Chargers fans. You know, just because we lived in San Diego didn't mean we had to be Chargers fans. So we made a little deal. I told my dad, my dad told me, let's pick a, a team by week five. This was 1999, I believe. You pick a team, I'll pick a team. We have to decide by week five. My dad picked the Rams because he loved when they were uh, L.A. before they moved to St. Louis. And, and I like the Oilers. I love Eddie George out of Ohio State. And then that year, they went from the Oilers to the Tennessee Titans. And I love the colors. I like the T. My last name starts with the T. I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to pick them. And that year, both the Titans and the Rams went to the Super Bowl. And it just, it launched this fun rivalry between me and my dad that we still have to this day. I mean, one of my favorite things to do in life is to sit on the couch and watch football with my pops. It's one of my my best pleasures in life. I love it. And so I've been a diehard Tennessee Titan fan for over 20 years now. And there's good things that happen in life, but there's one moment in my life, you know, I, I say probably top five. There's giving my life to the Lord marrying my sweetheart, holding my son for the first time, becoming pastor at Southgate. But the number five spot, January 4th, 2020, when my Titans ended the Patriots dynasty. (laughs) Oh, and it's embarrassing. If you ever watch football with me, my son, since he was little, has video recorded me and my reactions. The noises that come out of this grown man is just pathetic when it comes to football. And it could be preseason. I'm still crazy. But this was a wild card playoff game against Tom Brady and the New England cheaters. I mean, Patriots. And oh, it was neck and neck the whole way. And the last play of the game, Brady's in the end zone and he throws and we get a pick six. That's an interception and running it back for a touchdown. Oh my gosh, it was electrifying in in my house. I mean, it really was a joyful moment, you know. It's the little things in life. It's the little things in life. But joy is so powerful in life and so powerful in the spirit. And today as we start this series I've titled Selfie, We're going to begin part one in chapter one of Philippians with a message on joy. Joy is my victory. We're going to take the next four weeks to go through Philippians. And it's just an incredible 
dominant theme of rejoicing. Rejoicing is used, I believe, 16 times in just four chapters. And the Apostle Paul is talking about keeping our joy, rejoicing, and just enjoying this Christian experience. But we're going to learn how to really win in the waiting seasons of life. We're going to learn, like Paul learned, as he says in in chapter 4, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. We're going to learn how to really enjoy the journey of the Christian faith in the next couple of weeks. And I'm super excited. And the reason I titled it Selfie is because in order to really have joy and enjoy this Christian life, it, it can't be about us. It can't be a selfish thing. It has to be a selfless thing. And Selfie, we are in this self-obsessed culture. I mean, people have actually died taking selfies of themselves during the Grand Canyon, and then they fall off the cliff. Or they're driving, and they're paying attention to the phone or talking on the phone, and they crash. We are just absolutely obsessed with each other, uh, with ourselves. But the Bible is so clear in so many different places on the matter of our focus. In Romans, uh, and I'll talk about this later, it says that the mind that is set on the flesh leads to death, but the mind that is set on the spirit leads to life and leads, leads to peace. And that's the type of joy that we need to have and the type of focus that we need to have. And there are so many people today who are walking in pain and misery, and it's unnecessary. There's some circumstances that we can't avoid and we have to go through, but there is a misery that you can experience that you don't have to. If you simply take your focus off yourself, your focus on the situation, and turn your focus back to the face of God, we don't have to go through some of these things. And it's just astounding to see the type of pain that we go through in our country. Today in America, every 11 minutes, somebody is taking their own life. It's the 10th leading cause of death in our country. And some of it is chemical, some of it is mental, some of it is because of disease, but so much of it is because of a wrong focus. Just allowing the devil to constantly, constantly bombard them with lies, and they start believing things about themselves that they shouldn't, and ultimately their misery and their hopelessness gets to a point where it's unbearable. So not only do we need salvation, not only are we alive and and our purpose of this church is to bring revival to this land, but honestly, we need more joy. We absolutely need more joy. When you have joy, what I love so much about it is that it's not circumstantial. You can have joy when you shouldn't have it. You can have a supernatural faith when you should have fear. You can have a supernatural comfort when you should be devastated. It's not circumstantial. That even though we have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring, we can be certain that we can walk through any situation in life with joy. And so today we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul about joy, and we're going to start in chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go with me, Philippians chapter 1. It's not going to be a verse-by-verse teaching. I'm going to take uh, portions of the book of Philippians, and today we're going to look at verse 21 all the way through the end. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Philippians, uh, it's a church of Philippi, and they had sent a very nice gift to the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Prison back then was not like the prison today. There was no cable TV and air conditioning and several meals a day. Back in Paul's day, it was more like a dungeon. And when you were in prison, if you didn't have friends and family to care for you, you would starve. Your food, your supplies all came from people that gave to you. So this very generous gift that the church of Philippi sent to the Apostle Paul in prison was beyond what he needed. So this letter is written 
not so much as an exhortation or, or teaching as much as it is encouragement and a thank you to the people of the church of Philippi. Now, the Apostle Paul, he was arrested several times, and he uh, definitely was bold for the cause of Christ. But this time, he was arrested in Jerusalem, and he wanted to appeal to Caesar, which would be in Rome. So he had to go from Jerusalem to Rome. And as he was transferred there, he was put on house arrest in the prison uh, for two years. Now, house arrest meant that he was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And they would take shifts. And so he would get a new guard every few hours or so that was chained to him to make sure he wouldn't escape and so forth. Now, here you have the Apostle Paul, who loved talking about Jesus, who loved to spread the gospel. And you could say he had a captive audience. Can you imagine being chained to a person that won't shut up about Jesus? <laughs> and in fact, many guards actually got saved uh, during that time. But it's from this two years being away from his home in a first century prison that he writes this beautiful book about joy, okay? And now we've all been in this place where we have seen people who are going through horrific suffering. And when, when we see that and our heart breaks for them, we're like, who am I to complain? How dare I complain about my first world problems and what I'm going through when my brother is suffering? And the same we see here that Paul doesn't allow his circumstances to change the level of his joy. And this is what we're going to learn. So we're going to start in verse 21. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in the Greek, that word live is uh, zeo, and it means to fully enjoy life. John 10.10 I have come so that you may have life and life to its fullest. Verse 22, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. And I love that. If I die, if I, if I leave this earth, that's going to be the greatest joy in my life. We have a hope in the afterlife. And he says, uh, uh, for that is much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress in the joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, that too, from God. For to you has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And I'll end there. And uh, we have to be careful when we talk about uh, suffering in the Bible. When we talk about persecution and pain and suffering, uh, some people take it too far and to the extent that I'm supposed to suffer and life's supposed to just be bad all the time. Well, in the Greek, this word here, I believe is passio. That word suffer, it just means to be affected. And you can actually be affected, good or bad. So he's talking about, you know, we're going to go through things in life and we'll be affected. But the main thing is that we keep our joy in him. There's a cute little cup holder right here. All right, point number one in your notes, I want to pull from what Paul is teaching us. I want to pull from this theme of joy in the scriptures, and there's some things that we can learn, some adjustments that we can make in our spirit. So point number one in your notes, don't forfeit your joy. Don't forfeit your joy. I was uh, chatting with my sister, as you know, she's uh, 
continuing through different circumstances in her life. I was chatting with her this week, and she said she was watching my sermons. I said, oh, that's awesome. And she was watching specifically the sermon when I was preaching at my kitchen table via Zoom. And she says, brother, I was praying for you because you look bummed. I said, I look bummed? I'm a happy guy. I look bummed? But you know, confession time, church, I was bummed. I was stuck inside of my house for 21 days. <laughs> I was in quarantine, ready to plow my head through the drywall out of boredom. And I couldn't just go out and be this fast-paced person that I am. And I had to preach at a computer. And it's just, this is my, my happiness in the weekend to be around y'all and, and to preach and to minister. And I tried to hide it, I guess, but it didn't work too well. My own sister could see that I was bummed out, that, that I was suffering in, in that sense. And, you know, I, I need to work on that because no matter what circumstance, especially a tiny circumstance like that was, I should have had way more joy. I should have had a testimony. I was like, okay, I see what you're trying to do, devil. You're not going to win. But I just got sad. I just got bummed out, all of it, you know, and, and I need better joy. I want, you know, the type of joy that I really want. I want the type of joy that dogs have. <laughs> dogs can eat the same dry boring kibble every day and treat it like it's a juicy steak. I mean, to a dog, everything is their favorite. A walk? Ooh, my favorite. A car ride? Ooh, my favorite. You're throwing the ball? Ooh, my favorite. Cats are a little different. <laughs> Cats are like, it's now day 200 of my captivity and my uh, prison guards will feed me eventually, you know? Like, they don't even greet you when you come home. They're like, oh, it's you again, you know? But dogs, they're jumping all over you. I want that type of joy. I had a Schnauzer puppy. Schnauzers are my absolute favorite dogs. And one of the reasons I love them so much is because they actually squeal when they get excited. Literally squeal. Not like shake their tail or bark. They squeal when they're excited. And for my puppy, her favorite thing in the world was going on a walk. So I'd go to one end of the house, and the moment she heard the rattling of the leash, she would spin in circles and squeal. She would sit down at the door, squealing, until I put the harness on. And then the whole walk, she's jumping in circles, squealing, as if she's getting murdered. I'm like, hi, neighbors. She's fine. I don't know. It's a screw loose. I don't know what's going on with the dog. But the same activity every single day, and these dogs just have joy. I'm like, and that's an animal. We have been saved by the king of the universe. We have a joy that is supernatural. We have a joy that should be overflowing, but it takes work because we're on this side of eternity and because we're in the flesh and we need to work at this. So we can't forfeit our joy. We can't forfeit our joy. Last week, Pastor Wally was preaching Love Revisited and he talked about Galatians 5 with the fruit of the spirit. And he said the very first one was love. But you know what the second one is? It's joy. Joy is a second fruit, and because it's a fruit, and remember, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. You don't get some and, and not the other. Fruit means all of it. So if you have one fruit of the Spirit, you have all of them. And what God gives to us is supernatural. What God gives to us is past tense. When you became saved, God deposited into your spirit everything that you would need for life successfully as a Christian. He gave you everything that you needed to overcome anything that the devil would throw your way. He gave you everything to have joy in all sense of the word. So joy, is, again, it's not this, this circumstantial deal. It's a constant. And that's what I love so much about the gifts of God. They're irrevocable. They're constantly with us. When we have the, the joy, the gift of joy in our lives, it can be a constant. So whatever comes our way, you always have that hope. 
You always have that, God, I, I don't know why this is happening in my life, but I know you have given me joy. And so right now I ask that you would manifest that joy around me, that I can be a blessing to other people as well. So in the sense, you don't have to get joy. You don't have to go looking for joy. You know, I know there's many people that say things like, well, when I finally have my house paid off, I'll have joy. Or when I retire, there'll be joy. Or when this thing happens, it's that magical place called there. <laughs> and then, and when, you know, just, but joy needs to happen right now. And we can't forfeit because we don't have to look for our joy. Our joy has already been given to us. So it's not so much I need to get joy as much as it is, thank you for the joy you have already given to me, God. Now, how can I manifest this? I'm telling you, your, your misery will change, and it's going to start with your mouth. Joel chapter 3, verse 10, it says, let the weak say, I am strong. So when you're weak, you need to declare, I know I'm feeling weak right now, but I am strong in the Lord. And through your declaration, you can start seeing things change around. Amen, amen. You know, and um, the prophet Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet, and he wrote an entire book on complaining. I don't know how that one got past God's desk in heaven. <laughs> a whole book on whining and complaining. He's lamenting, lamentations. But in the middle of that book, in chapter 3, uh, roughly 22, verses 22 and 23, we see that he says, Your loving kindness, Lord, is never ending, and your mercies are new every day. Isn't that incredible? So every, every day we wake up, we have a fresh anointing, a new opportunity of the joy that God can give to us, but we need to be mindful of it. We need to switch our focus. Your joy is so dependent upon the focus that you have, whether it's on the circumstances or it's on the Father. So don't forfeit your joy. You have God's joy, don't lose it. Second thing is we need to find joy in the everyday little things. Find joy in the everyday little things. So I love church. I love football. But I also love cooking because I love food. And I'm picky with my food. So rather than pay 50 bucks for a rack of lamb at the restaurant, I want to prepare it my way. And I like trying new recipes as well. And this past week, uh, I was at my favorite Kroger. And I found uh, four little baby quail. I've never cooked quail before. I said, that's going to be fun. And I decided after watching a few uh, YouTube recipes, I was going to make a gumbo stuffed quail with the broth that goes around it. With, oh, I know it's a sin to talk about food, you know, right before lunch in church, but I enjoyed every process. We had uh, little lamb chops the night before, so I took all the bone and the fat that I had trimmed off, and I made this incredible stock uh, on like a Tuesday night, and I put all these onions and roasted garlic and the bones that were in there and chicken broth and all my favorite spices, and I simmer this thing down for three hours, and then I put it in a little jar, and I put it in my refrigerator. I was like, I'll see you tomorrow, right? <laughs> and then the next day, I, I made all the ingredients for the gumbo, you know, the trinity, the onion, celery, and bell peppers, threw in some garlic there, and and then I emulsified my lamb broth with a roux that I had made, and I made this quail. And it was okay. It was, you know, probably a restaurant could have done it better. But it was probably a six-hour process. And let me tell you, it wasn't labor for me. I enjoyed every step of the way. When I'm in the kitchen, it's not work. I don't have to make decisions. There's creativity that's flowing. I'm not focused on the things I need to do around the house. I'm in my own daydreaming world of joy. I kicked my wife out yesterday. She was yakking about something. I was like, nope, this is my happy place. Get out. <laughs> Get out of my happy place. But and she's, she's great. She's wonderful. I was just joking on that. But 
It, it really, she's like, yeah. <laughs> she was being a little brat. You know, it happens, right? That's marriage for you. True marriage, true marriage is not, you know, you guys are in the kitchen, a little, oh, no, true kitchen is, true marriage is you're always in the way of something. You're in front of the fridge when you need to go in the fridge. You're in front of the drawer that you need to get something out of the drawer. That's real marriage right there. But my kitchen is my happy place. And I, I love and I enjoy every step of the process. Just obtain garlic and onion in my kitchen. It burns the eyes of everybody else, but it just, it touches my soul. Every step I fully enjoy. And you and I, we, we need to pause so much more in life. A couple years ago, when I had my church plant, I'm sitting at my day job. I was a maintenance man. I'm in my uniform. I'm sitting in my car on my lunch break. And it's just one of those weeks that was so tough, you know, the giving was really low that week at the church, and I'm still working full-time, and it just feels like it's going to take forever to finally be full-time at the church, and just going through some discouragement. And I, I heard God, I hear God clearly on several things in my life, but I heard God really clear on this one. And he said, Rudy, you need to stop. You need to pause, and you need to learn what I'm trying to teach you in the middle. You need to learn what I'm teaching you in the middle. And that was the very first time that I said, wow, you know, when I'm going through a bad circumstance, I just want it over. I just want to fast forward to the end of the story. I'm like, God, can you just transport me to the end? Can you just take this away? But God is like, I, it's no surprise to me. I know what you're going through. I've given you everything you need to endure this. But because the devil has done this, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to give you something in the middle of this suffering. So don't miss it. Pause. Hear me. Learn from me. And I was like, wow. And I'm telling you, every time I go through a bad circumstance, I'm like, all right, devil, you won this one. You mess with me, but I'm coming out better. Okay? When the Israelites were in Egypt, they were plundered for 400 years. They, they, were, they were oppressed. They were in, in bondage for 400 years. And finally, God performs miracle after miracle. He opens an ocean so that they can head towards the promised land. But it says that when they left, they plundered the enemy. Clothes, jewelry, and food. They walked out of their suffering and slavery blessed. And so I'm telling you, let me get my preacher finger on right here, okay? Don't you dare go through something in life and not leave with something. You have a joy that can sustain you. But whatever you go through, whatever junk you face, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. But he also promises that he'll turn any evil and turn it around for good. So don't you dare leave your, your pain without something. But we have to slow down. We have to pause. We have to enjoy the little things in life. Jesus was never in a hurry. Now, let me tell you, he had some pressure because he was here on earth in the flesh and he had a job to do, which was to save the entire world. <laughs> We just have to go to work. <laughs> we just have to pay our bills, you know? But Jesus had to save humanity. That's a big job. And you know when he started? He didn't start when he was 12 years old and he was astounding the scholars at a preteen age. No, he started at the age of 30. Why would Jesus, who had so much to do, wait until he was 30 to start his ministry? Because he had a lot of time to spend being a son, a lot of time to learn how to commune with the Father in the flesh. He took his time. Jesus would stop and play with children. Even one of his closest friends on earth in, in John chapter 11, he's to go and minister to Lazarus who is dying. And Jesus says, yeah, we're going to take two more days. <laughs> we're going to take our time getting to him. And he ended up dying, but it didn't end in death. Jesus was never in a hurry. 
we need to pause and we need to focus on the face of God. Too many times, all we want is the hand of God, but we need to look up and commune with the face. So many times in the Old Testament, when you hear the presence of God, it actually translates to the face of God. In, in Genesis 2-7, God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living being, meaning if God is breathing directly into Adam, his first sight as a created human was the face of God. And that should have never changed throughout all humanity. We should constantly be seeking the face of God first and foremost, and he's going to take care of us. John 16, 24 says, ask whatever you need, and he will give it so that your joy may be full. But then in Psalm 16, 11, it, this is the pinnacle of it all. 16, 11, it says, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. You want to be the happiest person in the world? Face to face with God. Live and breathe in his presence. So don't forfeit your joy. Enjoy the everyday little things. And finally here, joy is the fruit of our focus. Joy is the fruit of our focus. Again, um, joy is supernatural, and it's forfeited when we get our focus off of God. As I mentioned earlier, Romans chapter, I believe it's chapter 8, verse 5 through 6, it says that when we focus, our mind is focused on the flesh, it leads to death. But when we focus and our mind is focused upon the things of the spirit, there's life and there's peace. That's a natural byproduct of joy. Isaiah 26.3 is quickly becoming one of my favorite verses. And Isaiah 26.3 says, those whose minds are stayed on the Lord, he will keep in perfect peace. Joy is the fruit, fruit from the spirit. We have joy already given to us, but it becomes manifested through our focus. Again, if you're in a place where you're lacking peace and lacking joy, I want to encourage you to be real with yourself and say, where did I lose my focus? If I'm lacking peace, where did I leave it? Where did I take my focus off the face of God and, and look to my circumstances? And fruit should be natural. Joy should be a natural thing that happens in our lives. Fruit is a natural byproduct of abiding, John 15. Have you ever walked by a, uh, an apple tree and you see it going, an apple? Doesn't strive. As long as it gets water and sun, it's going to produce itself. And if you're an abiding Christian in the presence of God, fruit should be a natural process, process of all of that. And God is always going to be taking care of you. I'll close with this. Um, had a children's director probably about seven years ago. Her name was Maya, and she was from Italy. And we were studying John, the book of John, and we got to the part about abiding in the vine. And she says, you know, back in, in Italy, which, by the way, I have never had a lasagna as good as that lady had made. Oh, my God, it was heaven on a plate, let me tell you. But she says, back in Italy, I had a vineyard. Come on now. <laughs> You're in Italy and you own a vineyard. Man, that's awesome. Why would you want to come to America, right? And she says... Uh, in, in John 15, where it talks about that he prunes and that he, he cleans with the word of God. She's like, there's so much symbolism in that. She goes, if you have a vineyard and the, the grapes actually fall to the ground and they get the dirt on them, they'll actually shrivel up. So if you see your, part of your vine on the ground, you have to lift it up higher for the directional flow of the water and you have to clean every single individual grape in order for it to survive. And so I'm telling you, there's so much that we can do in our world where we keep our focus on God. We don't forfeit our joy. We keep our focus in the right place. There's, 
There's a lot we can do on our act of obedience. But let's leave today with the encouragement. Number one, that joy is a constant. We can have joy in anything. But the second, just as Marsha testified, even when we blunder and we have mistakes, we don't have to be perfect because when we fall, he lifts us up, he cleans us, he prunes us, he gets us right back to where we need to be. So this message is not a message on feel better about yourself and be a happier person. This message is on the desperation we need as a society, as a culture, as a country, to walk in the manifested supernatural joy of what God has already given to us. Let's pray, family. Father, thank you so much for each and everyone here, those watching on Zoom, those who may be watching this uh, later on in the week who've missed church. Thank you, God, for the gentle yet firm reminder of joy and the, just the necessity of walking in your image, which is love and peace and kindness and joy. Thank you, Father, for the blessing that's upon this house. Thank you, Father, for each and every heart here today who are receiving the word of God. And I pray that this week there'd be honest conversations. I pray, God, that you would begin to speak in greater and clearer ways to each and every one of my friends. Lord, that they would take to heart that joy isn't something that is, is a treat. No, God, we can't afford to live this life without joy. We, we can't afford to just tolerate and take it and man up and just get stronger. No, our, our joy. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Help us to do the same. Thank you, Father, for the rest of today and, and on this week. May we go in your protection, in your love, in your anointing, and in your favor. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see y'all. You have a wonderful, wonderful week.